welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Brenna. And I'm at work. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, because we're recording this extremely far in advance because we had a nice open slot. But technically, we're recording well in the past because it is a brand new year, Brenna. Yes, it is. Oh, my God, it's 2020. Wow. (laughs) That happened quickly. (laughs) This is what happens, yeah, when uh, (laughs) you just kind of do things really super far in advance. And usually when we record, when we have used my office as a recording studio before, we have done it on like Saturday mornings at 6 a.m. But it is lunchtime on a Wednesday. So Mm -hmm. I'm not sure how quiet things are going to be for this. But if you get to hear the sounds and dulcet tones of my colleagues eating lunch, then just feel like you're part of my world. Yeah, we're back to ASMR territory, aren't we? (laughs) Ew. Can you imagine a chewing video? I know there's people who like it, but that just horrifies me conceptually. Yeah, I know. Disgusting. No, thank you. Mm Mm-hmm. So, Brenna, we are doing an appendix episode, which we have not done in a very long time. And that means... It is also... (laughs) It's also the very first of our our mini-sodes from our new mini-sode scheduling. Mm Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So, if people don't remember, we talked about this fairly regularly throughout the tail end of last year, but the new model that we're adopting moving forward as of now is we will be alternating mini-sodes and... Regular sods. Brenna. Regular sods. Thanks, Max. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we are kicking things off. It's a brand new year. And we thought, you know what? We haven't done a forecast episode since June of last year. So the time has never been better. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we very quickly discovered is that there's a lot of books that come out. So we're adopting a slightly different format than usual. Right, Brenna? That's right. So we are going to switch now to doing actually like monthly forecasts because trying to do one for the whole year is daunting enough. When we tried to do it for half a year, that was also wildly daunting. So mm-hmm. yeah, we're we're going to do the monthly and that way we can keep more on top of things and maybe give you a little bit more timely information. And this is just one of those things that we can do now that we're moving to this mini-sode format. It gives us the opportunity to do this kind of thing. So Generally, we've gotten very positive feedback on the forecast episodes. People like getting a heads up about books that are coming out. So hopefully that is still the case and you won't get sick of them if you get 12 in a year. (laughs) Yes. And of course, as always, we're looking for your feedback and your recommendations. So if you have scoured the lists and there are plenty of them out there, we want to hear about a book that we may have missed because as we have repeatedly mentioned, there's just so much content that we can't keep track of it all. Even when we think we're on top of this, people will come in and be like, hey, what about this? And we've never heard of it, and we're super grateful for it. So if we're missing something from our list, we want to hear something from your list. This is very true. And in fact, today I have some very specific requests that I'm going to ask listeners if they've heard of anything that fulfills a couple of slots. I've got a couple of books on my list that I'm really excited about, but they are not, in fact, own voices books. And so I'm going to put a call out to folks who maybe know about an own voices version of some of these stories. That's why they're on my honorable mention list and not my main list. So. Fair enough. 
Yeah, I tried yeah. to hit up a couple of different variations. So I'm going to start this off by prefacing this that I went once again to the Goodreads lists and they've got them organized by month, but they also have lists of books that are coming out that feature LGBTQ protagonists or characters. And then they also have ones that are featuring POC lead characters. So I tried to pull those. So you're going to be seeing, I think, a little bit more diversity and representation in my recommendations as we go throughout the year. Obviously, it really depends based on what's happening within a given month, but uh, that's my aim. It is also one of the nice things about going monthly because one thing that we've seen over the years in YA is that books by white authors have a tendency to get a much longer marketing lead time and a much bigger push. So Mm -hmm. if we're trying to do a show like this six months out, we're a lot less likely to get some of the more diverse reads in there. We're also less likely to see um, promo from small presses at that time. So I'm hoping that, yeah, just by virtue of moving to a monthly structure, we're going to get a more diverse roundup. Yeah. Okay. So let's kick this off. So I'm going to start by putting at the top of my list Dark and Deepest Red by Anna Marie McLemore. That's a good title. (laughs) McLemore? McLemore? (laughs) Not McLemore, the singer. No. Uh, So... I'm not going to lie, I'm always intrigued by good titles, titles that are catchy and interesting, but uh, in this case, the thing that attracted me, and I think the thing that attracted you, is the fact that this is a book about witches, Brenna. Love a witch story! Yeah. Okay, so here's the blurb. Summer 1518, a strange sickness sweeps through Strasbourg. Women dance in the streets, some until they fall down dead. As rumors of witchcraft spread, suspicion turns towards Lavinia and her family, and Lavinia may have to do the unimaginable to save herself and everyone she loves. Five centuries later, a pair of red shoes seal to Rosella Oliva's feet, making her dance uncontrollably. They draw her towards a boy who knows the dancing fever's history better than anyone, Emil, whose family was blamed for the fever 500 years ago. But there's more to what happened in 1518 than even Emile knows, and discovering the truth may decide whether Rosella survives the red shoes. Okay, that sounds great. Yeah, it's a little bit of dancing, a little bit of witchcraft. A little bit of romance. A little bit of romance. A little bit of women acting even a tiny bit in an unorthodox way, so definitely she's a witch. A little bit Mm -hmm. of that too. Love it. Yeah. One of the other things that attracted me as I was starting to put the list together was this idea of stories that have a bit of a historical element to them. Mm. I like stories that acknowledge that there is a history to places, to objects, to people, so that we're not just always looking at contemporary YA. Because I do feel like a lot of the stories that we've told are very modern stories, so I'm looking for some things that have a bit of a historical heft to them. For sure. I like it. I love historical fiction and I love the intersection between the historical and the contemporary. So I'm Mm -hmm. putting this one on my holds list for sure. All right. So once again, that is Dark and Deepest Red by Anna Marie McLemore. Nice. Okay, so um, my first pick is one that I am simultaneously genuinely very excited about and feel like a total fraud for recommending because it's the third book of a series and I have not managed to read the rest of the series, but I started it and I really liked it. And then I don't know, I had a kid or something and (laughs) I didn't 
managed that. to finish it. So I actually, finding out that this one is coming out in January has made me make sure I have the ebooks for my trip back to see my parents over the holidays because by the time you listen to this, I, I say, will have read them. Huh? <laughs> yes. Huh? Good. I like it. Okay. So the series is called Truly Devious, and the author is Maureen Johnson. And we've talked about Maureen Johnson on the show before, because I have liked lots of her books. Um, And this volume three is called The Hand on the Wall. The synopsis for the series itself is basically there's like this young girl, American girl, who has gone to a boarding school in the UK, and it's haunted. And for three books, she's been trying to solve the mystery of the haunting. Okay. Little Nancy Drewish. Little Nancy Drewish, Little Nancy Drewish. So the synopsis is Ellingham Academy must be cursed. Three people are now dead. One, a victim of either prank gone wrong or murder. Another, dead by misadventure. And now an accident in Burlington has claimed another life. All three in the wrong place at the wrong time. All at the exact moment of Stevie's greatest triumph. Stevie Bell is our protagonist. Okay. She knows who truly devious is. She's solved it. The greatest case of the century. At least... She thinks she has. But with this latest tragedy, it's hard to concentrate on the past. Not only has someone died in town, but David disappeared of his own free will and is up to something. Stevie is sure that somehow, somehow, all of these things connect. The three deaths in the present, the deaths in the past, the missing Alice Ellingham, and the missing David Eastman. Somewhere in this place of riddles and puzzles, there must be answers. Then another accident occurs. And I won't read the rest of the synopsis because it's quite long. But I really love Maureen Johnson's style. She's very funny she's very um I don't know uh witty and whimsical and her characters are all really they just feel real like they're very flawed they're always sort of actual teenagers who screw stuff up sometimes and bumble their way through things and Stevie Bell is no exception and there's sort of this great fish out of water aspect to the series with the fact that Stevie is American and has moved to this this boarding school where she doesn't really understand kind of the way things are done so I really enjoyed what I read of the first one. I'm excited to finish the series, and I'm really excited that the finale comes out this month. So this is the end of a trilogy? This is the end of a trilogy. So the first book is called Truly Devious. Uh, The second one was The Vanishing Stair. And this third one coming out January is The Hand on the Wall. Okay, cool. And I like the tagline, if you look for murder, murder may find you. (laughs) (laughs) Very cute. Yep. And it is cute. Like, I'm sure there are scares and stuff in the book, but overall, Maureen Johnson's style is very warm and witty and open-hearted. So looking forward to this one. Okay. Mm -hmm. So my second pick is We Used to Be Friends by Amy Spaulding. I wanted to put this on my list. Well, you know what? I made my list first, so I get to steal all the good picks. (laughs) It's true. And you did. And that's fine. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. So this one is about the end of a best friend friendship as two friends grow apart. So this is two childhood best friends, James, a girl with a boy's name, as per the description, and Kat, (laughs) and they are inseparable, but by graduation, they're not friends anymore. And this is told in dual timelines. And this was the thing that attracted me. The story itself sounds a little bit generic. You know, they've got their own separate storylines. They're going in their own different directions. It's a natural part of YA that we've explored several times. But the thing that I find really fascinating or that I'm hoping will really be fascinating in this book is that half of the chapters are moving forward in time and half of them are moving backwards. Oh, Yes, formal innovation. You know I love it. 
Mm-hmm. So I could tell you the rest of the plot synopses, but it's it sounds relatively familiar. So I'm hoping that that formal innovation will lift the story into something unique and different, but I'm willing to give it a try based solely on that. Well, and you know, Joe, there is something sort of formulaic about the kind of the various traumas that we experience as teenagers, et cetera, et cetera. But I will say that I don't think we have enough stories for teenagers about friendships ending. Right. Friendship breakup is probably one of the most traumatic things you go through as a teenager. I mean, most average teenagers, it can be an incredibly heart-wrenching experience and there's really nothing out there to talk to it. Mm-hmm. So I was really, that's what drew me to the title, this idea of like actually navigating the emotional journey of a friendship breakup. Because mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but I definitely had at least oh, two yeah. friendship breakups in high school and they were fairly traumatic, all things considered. I had one that really came about in early university that was fairly world-shattering for me. So, Mm. yeah, this is a book I totally would have loved. All right. So that's We Used to Be Friends by Amy Spaulding. Awesome. Okay, so my pick number two is called Not So Pure and Simple by Lamar Giles. If Lamar Giles' name is familiar to you, it might be because you read mysteries. So Lamar Giles typically writes YA mysteries, but this is his first contemporary teen novel. Okay. And so it's all about toxic masculinity. Oh. So I'm pretty excited about it. Let me read you this. <laughs> you do love your toxic masculinity, Brenna. Really do. So Dell has a crush on Kira Westing since kindergarten. And now, during their junior year, she's finally available. So when Kira volunteers for an opportunity at their church, Dell's right behind her, though he quickly realizes he's inadvertently signed up for a purity pledge. His dad thinks his wires are crossed, and his best friend, Quan doesn't believe any girl is worth the long game. But Dell's not about to lose his dream girl, and that's where his fellow pledger, Jameer, comes in. He can put in a good word. In exchange, Dell just has to get answers to the pledger's questions about sex ed. With other boys circling Kira like sharks, Dell needs to make his move fast, but as he plots and plans, he neglects to ask the most important question. What does Kira want? He can't hmm. think about that too much, though, because once he gets Ugh. the girl, it'll all sort itself out. Right? <laughs> Jeez. I'm very excited about it. So the synopsis is that it's uh, Lamar Giles creatively spotlights the consequences of societal pressure, confronts toxic masculinity, and explores the complexity of what it means to be a quote-unquote real man. But I'll tell you the real thing that sold me on it. What's Tiffany that? D. Jackson gave it a blurb. Oh, Okay. She said, holy hell, this was the perfect timely read. I laughed, I gasped, I church grunted through every chapter. Giles is a master at writing realistic characters that are both flawed and relatable. Hmm. Okay. It's yeah. a pretty good sell. Yeah, well, this is the thing, right? Complex topic, easy to do badly. Lord knows we've read enough books in the last year where the young mm-hmm. man does not have a critical perspective on these same views of women. Yeah. So <laughs> part of me is anxious, but I have to say, when I read the synopsis, I was like, okay, I'm in. And then I saw that Tiffany D. Jackson said it's good. And I was like, all right, well, she knows. There we go. Yeah, she gets it. <laughs> yeah, she gets it. So that is um, Not So Pure and Simple by Lamar Giles. Okay. So my third pick is an edited collection, and it's edited by a woman named Judith Gertler, and it's called You Too. 
I also wanted to put this on my list. <laughs> yeah, so this is a nonfiction work, which if people know anything about me from the last year and a bit, this is a very rare thing for me. I do not mm -hmm. tend to read nonfiction, but to be honest, I probably should have put this first because this sounds amazing. It does sound amazing. And like important and junk. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah. this is a timely and heartfelt collection of essays inspired by the Me Too movement. When Me Too went viral, Janet Gertler was among the millions of people who began to reflect on her past experiences, things she had reluctantly accepted, male classmates groping her at recess, harassment at work, came back to her in startling clarity. She needed teens to know what she had not, that no young person should be subject to sexual assault or made to feel unsafe, less than, or degraded. You too was born out of that need. By turns thoughtful and explosive, these personal stories encompass a wide range of experiences and will resonate with every reader who has wondered, why is this happening to me? Or secretly felt that their own mistreatment or abuse is somehow their fault. It's not. Candid and empowering, U2 is written for teens, but also an essential resource for the adults in their lives, an urgent, compassionate call to listen and create change. So I don't think this is going to be a fun read, per se. <laughs> no, but... but it just sounds so timely. Yeah, very timely. You know what? It may actually be a fun read, because I have a feeling that there will be levity and there will be stories of empowerment. And mm -hmm. I have a feeling that this isn't just going to be a collection of things that make you feel like the world is a raging garbage dumpster fire. No, I mean, it does say that it's empowering. And I looking at the names who have attached themselves to the project, I suspect that it will be that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Did you notice that Gertler is Canadian? I did not, no. She is. She lives in your home province of Alberta. Okay. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's Look at exciting. all these Albertans making a splash in YA. <laughs> yeah. So once again, that is you too. Okay. So my third pick is, again, one that I was drawn to by the blurb because our fave, Becky Albertalli, has blurbed this one. Hmm. So she describes this as a wise and romantic gem of a book. So the book is called The Gravity of Us by Phil Stamper. Okay. And let me read you the synopsis because it's like the cutest. As a successful social media journalist with half a million followers, 17-year-old Cal is used to sharing his life online. But when his pilot father is selected for a highly publicized NASA mission to Mars, Cal and his family relocate from Brooklyn to Houston and are thrust into a media circus. Amidst the chaos, Cal meets sensitive and mysterious Leon, another astro kid, and finds himself falling head over heels fast. As the frenzy around the mission grows, so does their connection. But when secrets about the program are uncovered, Cal must find a way to reveal the truth without hurting the people who have become most important to him. Expertly capturing the thrill of first love and the self-doubt all teens feel, debut author Phil Stamper is a new talent to watch. Mm. It sounds so cute. It's got, like, social media hijinks, space queer romance what more could you ask for i'll admit i i had looked at that one because it was one of the more prominently featured books on the lgbtq list and yes. it was the space thing that threw me off it sounded like <laughs> a very odd fit it is odd but i just feel like i don't know we're always saying we want to see something new and different we haven't seen mars yet joe this is true it just seems like it'd be a fun read yeah 
Although to, yeah. to address the fact that we haven't seen something like that, I feel like it's because we haven't covered a ton of series and a lot that's of the true. work that's being done is in fantasy or dystopia. Oh yeah, no, that's fair. I just think the idea of like a realist YA set around NASA in a space program. is pretty exciting. <laughs> uh, it's a little bit unusual, for sure. <laughs> I'm easily excited, I guess. No, no, I'm intrigued. I feel like I might wait to see whether or not that checks the boxes. Yes, fair point. All right, so we each have, I think, a couple of honorable mentions. Yes. Can I do two each? Yeah, yeah, because cool. I only have two. You can do more if you want. <laughs> no, it's cool. I just bumped one off just now. Okay. See ya, <laughs> book. <laughs> wow. Oh, I should say, actually, I should say my last pick, The Gravity of Us by Phil Stamper, is actually a bit of a cheat because it comes out on February 4th. But I figured that was so early into February that if I listed it in February, it, you wouldn't have time to anticipate it. It would just be out. So yeah. that's why it's on my February list, my January list. Right. Well, and as always, we're trying to do this so that people can get it onto their holds list now so that... Yes you know by the time it comes out they can be among the first to get a copy of it and you're not you know 165th on the list or something <laughs> ridiculous like that yep so my first honorable mention is a book called spell hacker by mk england oh this one looks good yeah it could be very interesting it's a little bit more fantasy-ish than i'm used to so that's why it's more of an honorable mention because i'm mm -hmm. i feel like it's a bit of a risk for me mm-hmm in Kirkata, magic, known as Maz, was once a freely available natural resource. Then, an earthquake released a magical plague, killing thousands and opening the door for a greedy corporation to make Maz a commodity that's tightly controlled, and, of course, outrageously expensive. Which is why Diz and her three best friends run a highly lucrative, highly illegal Maz siphoning gig on the side. Their next job is supposed to be their last heist ever, but when the plan turns up a powerful new strain of Maz that literally blows up in their faces, mm -hmm, they're driven mm -hmm. to unravel a conspiracy at the very center of the spill plague and possibly save the world. No pressure. Like, come on. It sounds That's like great. a barrel of fun, right? It does. It sounds so fun. So I had never heard of MK England, but no, when I went to add Spellhacker to my list, the library did not have, they don't have a copy of it on reserve. So it's either not in the system or they're not planning to get it. But they did have other books by MK England, and it looks like heists are very much the wheelhouse. So nice. this is not out of the comfort zone. So I'm kind of hopeful that that will offset some of like the weirdness of like a magical heist book nice i like it a lot yeah so that's spell hacker by mk england i'm gonna go with one on my list where the person also has initials for names just to match you <laughs> so the one i'm going with is rogue princess by br myers mm-hmm and it is a gender swapped sci-fi ya retelling of cinderella Oh, okay. Uh -huh. <laughs> that Let was a lot. Let me read you the synopsis. <laughs> princess Delia knows her duty. She must choose a prince to marry in order to secure an alliance and save her failing planet. Yet she secretly dreams of true love and feels there must be a better way. Determined to chart her own course, she steals a spaceship to avoid the marriage, only to discover a handsome stowaway. All Aiden wanted was to borrow a few palace trinkets to help him get off his planet. 
Okay, so maybe escaping on a royal ship wasn't the smartest plan, but he never expected to be kidnapped by a runaway princess. Sparks fly as this headstrong princess and clever thief battle wits, but everything changes when they inadvertently uncover a rebel conspiracy that could destroy their planet forever. Of course. The stakes always have right. to be completely civilization or planet destroying, right? Yeah, well, exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and so this is uh, an author who has in the past won several awards and been compared to Lois Duncan, Ray Bradbury, and Stephen King. Jeez. Yeah, and her, I think it was her debut, um, Girl on the Run, was actually chosen by Canadian Children's Book Centre as the book of the year for 2016. Uh, and she lives in Halifax. Yeah, nice. The only okay. reason this made it onto my honorable mentions list and not my main list uh, is because, well, first of all, the ones on my main list are amazing and it was really hard to decide. It was a bit of a Sophie's choice. But, sure. <laughs> but also, it looks like from the cover art and some of the reviews I've read that these are, I mean, they are aliens. They are not humans, but they are humanoid aliens. Okay. But at least the princess appears to be a person of color and the author herself is not, which isn't the end of the world. But my only concern in recommending it is that I've been looking at the reviews like on Goodreads and stuff. Mm -hmm. And the reviews are really, really good, but I haven't seen it in the hands of a lot of reviewers of color yet. Okay. So I wanted to put it on the list because it sounds really interesting and creative and fun, but I want to make sure that... I don't know. I just want to give space if people have critiques of what B.R. Myers is doing with this title, that, that they have space to, to make those critiques. So mm -hmm. I think it's worth keeping an eye on, but I really want to see what some, as I say, what some reviewers of color think of it. Okay. Obviously, that's fair. Yeah. So that was Rogue Princess by B.R. Myers and another Canadian pick on our list. Ah, good call. Mm -hmm. You managed that much better than I did. Well, you got a Canadian pick. You just didn't know. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to check all the boxes here, right? You're so Canadian that your books are secretly Canadian without you ever knowing it. That does sound like me, actually. <laughs> so my second and final honorable mention is called Tweet Cute by Emma Lord. This was almost on my list, but you already had it. This is a little unusual for me because it's a very... It seemed a bit sugary for you, I have to say. Yes, which is probably <laughs> a little bit more why it attracted you. So this mm -hmm. is very much a, I mean, obviously, even by the title's design, it's very much a meet cute book about two people who should not fall in love, but of course are secretly perfect for each other. So we've got Pepper, who is the swim team captain, chronic overachiever, and all-around perfectionist. And she butts heads with Jack, who is the class clown and constant thorn in her side. In real life, they hate each other because they're always fighting. Her family owns a massive fast food chain. His family owns a deli. But of course... <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, I kind of like that idea, too. It almost gives me a Hallmark movie feel where they yes. both own competing food. <laughs> okay. But of course, what's actually happening is that they're secretly also having a viral Twitter war. <gasps> and as they're doing all of this, they're falling for each other in real life via an anonymous chat app that Jack has built. So very, very romantic comedy conventions, people who fight, but then are also falling in love in another medium because they can't figure out who the other person is and of course they're gonna end up getting together at the end it feels very much like romantic comedy but make it internet 
Mm-hmm. Which I'm not. That's not an insult when I say that. That sounds great. So no, it's it's uh, <laughs> you've got mail for 2020. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So that is Tweet Cute by Emma Lord. It's just also a great title. It's a great title. I mean, you got to <laughs> do something to stand out in a crowded market, right? Might as well <laughs> play to your strengths. Exactly. Okay, so my pick is What I Carry by Jennifer Longo. This is my last honorable mention. And again, this is a situation where the book sounds really interesting and it sounds like it's doing something quite novel for YA, but I have some questions about the voice. So I'll give you the synopsis. Mm -hmm. Growing up in foster care, Muir has lived in many houses. And if she's learned one thing, it's to pack light, carry only what fits in a suitcase. Toothbrush? Yes. Socks? Yes. Emotional attachment to friends? Foster families? A boyfriend? Nope. There's no room for any additional baggage. Muir has just one year left before she ages out of the system. One year before she's free. One year to avoid anything or anyone that could get in her way. But then she meets Francine and Kira and Sean. And everything changes. So I'm excited to see a book dealing with the foster care system. Mm -hmm. I kind of expected that after the fosters was so huge, we were going to see a big like push of foster books. Right. <laughs> and to my knowledge anyway, that didn't really happen, which is kind of surprising because YA tends to follow trends pretty aggressively. Hmm. And that book, that TV show was so successful. Jennifer Longo herself is uh, an activist for kids in the foster system and a, both a foster and adoptive parent. Yeah, okay. She says that she wrote this book for her adopted daughter who she felt deserved a hopeful, happy tale about foster care and adoption. So all of that is awesome. It's also got some really good blurbs. Jeff Zentner, who I've talked about before in terms of his, oh, Rain and Delilah's Midnight. Oh, yeah, yeah, It was that book where they made like public access TV. Mm -hmm. So anyway, he says you'll carry this book in your heart for a long, long time. So I think there's there's a lot to uh, recommend this book. Okay. That said, I've been reading a lot online sort of uh, survival of foster care stories on Twitter from like actual kids who have lived in the foster system. And one of the big complaints that they often seem to share across narratives is an idea that the people who are telling their stories feel really connected to it, but don't actually have the experience of having lived through the foster care system. And so this is where I'm bringing out my call to our listeners. I would love to read an own voices story about life in the foster system. Hmm. If anybody can think of an example of that please send it my way use our twitter hashtag hkhspod i am so intrigued i I feel like this book is getting really close but it's still not quite somebody's own experience right and it's still someone who has a different sort of stake in the game so that's what i'm putting out there and it's no slight to jennifer longo like she's clearly a very committed activist and she's clearly a very committed mom but i just wanted to ask our listeners if they can think of any examples of own voices stories particularly of foster care i can think of some of adoption but foster care is a bit i just think that we've had less written about it in general so i'm glad to see i'm glad to see what i carry out there in the world uh and i want to see more and i want to see more own voices Okay. Interesting. So as you were talking about that, it reminded me, uh, so I'm going to make a late addition to this. How dare? How dare? I know. I'm just full of surprises. But uh, it's because I thought for a moment that there was a new TV show that's coming out dealing with teenagers in the foster system. But as you were talking, I looked it up. It turns out it doesn't, but it's sort of adjacent. So I'm just going to do a quick plug. 
Sure. Which is to say that there is a new iteration of Party of Five, which is about to debut. So it comes out what? on January 8th on Freeform, which is formerly ABC Family. Which is the network that aired The Fosters. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. so uh, this is a redo of the television show that ran on Fox for a number of years. It gave us Scott Wolf, Jennifer Love Hewitt. Jennifer Love Hewitt, Lacey Chabert. This was about a family of five that obviously... Went to a lot of parties. <laughs> Boo. No. No. Did I miss it? Did I miss what the show was about? <laughs> Do you honestly not know? No, I totally know. Okay. I never watched it, but I was alive. <laughs> so this is a uh, a family of five kids whose parents die, and then they have to be raised by the eldest sibling, and they go through a series of trials and tribulations to stay together and also to negotiate, you know, burgeoning adulthood without the safety of having adults. So mm -hmm. this is uh, a new iteration of this, but it's actually centered around a Mexican family. Mm. It's about the Acosta family, and they must navigate daily struggles after their parents are deported back to Mexico. So in this version, the parents don't die. They were illegal immigrants. So the children remain in the U.S., and the parents are deported back to Mexico, and they have to deal with... Gentle correction. Yes. Undocumented immigrants. Thank you. No problem. So I think this still has the participation of some of the people who worked on the original Party of Five, but obviously we've got a very different, far more topical and timely relevancy to it. At the point of this recording, it's still too early for us to talk about whether or not it's successful because we don't have any advanced reviews. So I can only say it's coming out on January 8th, and there's apparently 10 episodes in the first season. Well, it's super relevant to my interests, so mm -hmm. I will definitely check it out. And also, I think the great thing with these reboots is the possibility for stunt casting. Right. There's lots of folks who are involved in um, Party of Five who aren't, like, doing a lot right now, who may well like a guest appearance on yeah, such a show. True. Yeah, Anything is possible. Coolio. Okay. So, listeners, Brenna has put out two separate challenges for you in this. And, of course, we also have the general call to arms. We want to hear what other kinds of books you're excited for or just maybe ones that you read over the holiday break. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. What did you read when you were stuffed full of turkey or avoiding your family mm -hmm. or not celebrating the holidays at all? Leave you alone. Yeah. What were you reading during that week? Or watching. We can also do TV and movies as well. Oh, so yeah. anything that falls into the YA sphere, we're interested in hearing from you. So I guess that wraps up this January forecast. And we will be back in February for another edition. Sounds great. So Brenna, how shall we kick off 2020 for our first full-length episode? Joe, you've made all my Christmas dreams come true. We're going to read. <laughs> Wait for it, everybody. Take a beat. Take a pause. Dramatic. And of Green Cables. Oh, yes! the time has come. Yes! Venturing to the East Coast. <laughs> we did tease this, of course, back in uh, our previous episode on It's Kind of a Funny Story because, yes. of course, we were talking about the cancellation of Anne with an E. So the timing feels right. I'm so excited to watch the new series. I'm so excited to revisit my beloved Megan Follows version. I'm so excited to reread Anne of Green Gables for, I don't know, conservatively like the 37th time. 
Oh, jeez. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what you're saying is you might have a few things to say. I have a few things to say about Anne of Green Gables. I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah. So when we come back, your first regular sode will be <laughs> Anne of Green Gables and also Anne with me. And I think you and I will probably also both check out the Megan Fellows version. I knew I was going to make regular sode happen. So that's where we're at next week. Feel free to read along with us. You know we love you too. Uh, and if you want to get a hold of us in the meantime, you can find us on the hashtag HKHSPod on the Twitters. Joe, how can they find you? You can reach me at Beast on my remote, and that's the letter B. And I'm at Brenna C. Gray. That's Gray with an A. And if you've got something longer, feel free to email us at hkhspod at gmail.com. And remember, we're sort of uh, looking for emails and input for the minisodes. So please, if you've got ideas, if you've got stuff you want us to read, don't hesitate to send it along. We're really looking forward to a more interactive 2020. Mm -hmm. Yes, very much looking forward to it. And until next time, I will see you on the page. And I will see you on the screen. Stop.